you have various websites that answer questions and all that. So yeah. some, I read one of these, I read it myself, where some guy asked a question that one guy goes to a barber's shop and um, he told the barber to shave his beard. And then at some point, after the guy shaved his beard, he has this realization that the shaving of the beard is haram. So should he pay the barber? So <laughs> the response was, um, I don't know if that question uh, or the answer is still up there. The response was, you know, the beard is online, blah, blah, blah. And it's... Uh, it therefore, because the barber, he asked him to do something haram for him, it's forbidden for him to, 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 to pay this. Now, if you're in certain countries or certain parts of the world where you can get off authorities to sort of back you up in your position, well and good. Yeah. You know, you try doing that here in the Shoreditch and the guy's going to call the police at you. Yeah. I mean, especially in Shoreditch, because Shoreditch, the hipster beard is like yeah, quite yeah, in, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so there's a bit more, it's a bit more personal. Hello, would you like to upgrade protein coffee providing? Go to East London, Quaker Street, Coffee and Bubble Tea. They will provide better tea and coffee providing than your current tea and coffee provider is providing. What about downgrading? If you mention the podcast name, they will downgrade your providing to 10% off. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah welcome to uh, today's podcast of uh, the Islam Trinity podcast unscripted uh, we've got uh, Omar Suleiman and uh, his co-host Salman Butt and uh, we're delighted to be joined today by uh, a true OG in every sense of the word mashallah it's uh, brother Babar Ahmed assalamu alaikum assalamu alaikum thanks for coming mashallah um, now i know a lot about like other people, I know a lot about Bab Ahmed, but he doesn't really know much about me because, uh, other, than know. The, yeah, other than <laughs> other than other uh, than the whole kind of you know public thing, uh, I had another extra connection with you, and that was I joined Imperial College the same like a month after you know you were arrested, and so I was there during a lot of the campaigning, the free Bab Ahmed in its kind of uh, infancy. And I feel like I know a lot about you, and it might be a bit kind of um, almost creepy <laughs> for you. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm used to that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, when uh, Omar said that we've got a chance to get uh, Mr. Mr. B in the seat, then uh, I, I was very pleased, mashallah. So I, I did try to uh, avoid it. <laughs> Mahmoud, he spent several months. Of, yeah. of, I tried to like ignore it, and then he did the. <laughs> The thing that Asians do, and he like went through my family and said, "Get him to reply to it back." <laughs> I just What's kept on like? trying to like avoid it, but it took yeah. a few months. But uh, eventually, pushed me into a corner. Yeah. I had to do it. <laughs> Good. When I, mean, I saw your uh, Victoria Derbyshire. That was the interview. That was uh, right. kind of maybe one of the few things you did uh, yes. once you got back. Yes. Um, what I really liked about that one was, you know, right at the beginning, she was like. Um, Hi, thanks for you know meeting us. Um, you know something like, how do you how does it feel being back home? And you were like, Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, Rabbish, Rahli, Sadri, Amli, and like she was probably uh, <laughs> a bit wonder about that. Like uh, this is what it means. She was like, Alhamdulillah. Uh, I just say when uh, for myself, Barber, um, being introduced to Dean through you. When we talk about Barbara, because alhamdulillah, I know you in a different way, and there's, I think what Salman was alluding to is there's the the person who's known to everyone else, who people connected with, who people mm -hmm. supported. Um, where does your story begin, really? 
you know, many people would probably know you from the point that you were arrested, um, forced and everything that happened then. And maybe some people don't even know the details. I remember at the time when it first happened, uh, you're trying to solicit support. People were interested, but funnily enough, there's like a tipping point when suddenly it hits mass and then everyone wants to support, you know, yeah. the cause, Hamdan, people got to know you. But I guess, would you say that there's, in terms of yourself and your personality, there was a barber before prison and a barber after? Would you feel that it's the same person, but perhaps different facets of yourself have been unlocked? I think, um, so in some ways I'm the same person. So people who knew me before in terms of my, my personality, um, how I am, that part of me is the same. Um, and I would, I'll say you remain the same person, but your worldview changes, your, your, um, you know, the way you look at the world, that changes. Part like of that's natural for any, anyone growing up anyway, isn't it? It is, yeah. And then anything significant that happens in your life, mm. you don't know, is it because of that or because just I'm I mean, older and more mature? Muhammad Ali, he, was it? Mm. he said that a man who sees the world at the same same way at the age of 50 as he did at the age of 25 has wasted 25 years of his life so <laughs> you um you do mature but in those 11 years mm. i didn't live 11 years i probably lived mm. the life of 100 years so uh mm. hence the you know the bald head uh, finally <laughs> i finally got out of the denial and i decided i struggled with it for a bit <laughs> then i just spoke to rahim jung and he said look man just make yeah. the plunge <laughs> And then uh, you, you know, have a lovely it. mullet, Paul. Huh? You have a lovely mullet. Yeah. I do, yeah. That was back back in the day. So if, you got, if you got the mullets, then uh, my mullet is in then my enjoy heart, it now. Yeah. But I just thought it's about time to uh, embrace to embrace, embrace yeah. my uh, other ego, also known as the uh, singing yeah. dentist. So uh, your bars, different sort of bars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how, when did when did you meet Barbara? So you've known him for uh, I decades, uh, right? Barbara, I met. I was 11 years old and uh, went to pray in our secondary school and Barbara was in the upper sixth, I was the uh, first year. Wow. And uh, that's mm. when, alhamdulillah, the first time. So you radicalised him? Hmm? He radicalised you? <laughs> no, no, Umar radicalised <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, to fry chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Against <laughs> was, entrepreneurs. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. No, but good. i got yeah. good memories of, uh, yeah. of Umar and his brother. Yeah. Um, so even that. though I think it was just that one year that we spent that's together. Right. That's right. And then yeah. we used to have like, you know, study circles and I used and he, exactly. he's from my uh, from Remember my anything embarrassing about from him? my ends. I don't I can to be honest with you, man. Uh, no. Only really? good things about him and yeah. his brother. Always smiling ah, face. Him, him and his brother always smiling face. No, no need for diplomacy here. You know. <laughs> I can't do that, man. Yeah. Can't, can't throw him under the bus, man. He's from my ends. <laughs> no, what do you mean there's nothing to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, because because uh, because uh, I'm like I'm thinking ahead because um yeah. you yeah. know if I spill the beans on him, then he might be able to do it on me. I mean, with me, there's like no beans yeah. left to spill. It's no, like all out there in the public. So yeah. uh, for me, things only get better. Yeah. But for him, he's like got a reputation yeah. to protect, protect <laughs> and uh, no, subhanallah. No, good memories of, uh, of Omar and yeah. brother. And, and Barbara, alhamdulillah, likewise. I think my first experience of Islam outside of the masjid was through the circles. And when we started off at, um, in the house, Daha's house, Franciscan Road, then we moved to Darrington Road, alhamdulillah. And it was just completely, I think for me at that time when you were young, being amongst brothers, elder brothers who were looking out for you, that sense of brotherhood, uh, I've failed to find it since, if that makes sense. There was a real rawness about the brotherhood, alhamdulillah, that you're there for that reason. And really did feel like 
our elders were looking after us. Uh, it's something I really feel sorry for, that, especially now. It yeah. would be interesting to compare how you both regard that era. So you were maybe um, young, teenage kind of years. Um, you look to you look at the, that, that yeah. period of your life fondly. It could be because you were young and you had that, that belonging and stuff. Do you look at that? So what are we looking at here, like early 90s? Is that yeah. when you're... Do you look at the p- that period with the same kind of fondness, or yeah. some people look at that period as quite you know negative? Or mm-hmm. um, what, 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 so I think that that decade, and by decade, if I just expand it a bit from eighty nine up mm. till September two thousand and one, those um, <coughs> twelve years, I think they were the defining decade for the Muslims of this country. Really, um, wow. things. That and I also try to go back into the last few, uh, you know, decades before that, as well, even before I was born, mm. and I wasn't able to find something with as much um, things that happened. So I have to say, so starting from the the satanic verses. So for those who don't know, oh, okay. there's an author by the name of Salman Rushdie. He wrote this book called The Satanic Verses, which basically um, uh, insulted and mocked the Prophet Muhammad uh, sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his wives. And um, there was protests, there was demonstrations, there was a lot of, like, um, you know, things. So starting from that, which was, like, early, I think, 89 or end of 88, say early part of 89, and ending at September 11, the amount of things that happened in those 12 years, you had the war in Bosnia, which Mm. for us was now, Afghanistan was ending, but that was the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. Yes, that so that ended in uh, in uh, in eighty nine, and then over the next three years, the the, the communist uh, um, uh, regime was uh, was uh, um, was uh, conquered. But Bosnia was from ninety two to ninety five, and that was very um, it was very close to home. Mm. So you could literally in forty eight hours you would be on a bus from London, Victoria to Croatia. That's how close it was. Mm. Um, you had wars in Chechnya, in Kosovo. Um, you had uh, the air of it is he, he's some one of these uh, French, well, the French anti-terrorism uh, yeah, uh, yeah. experts. They used to call it Londonistan, yeah. which is um, <laughs> which, as I have to say, is quite funny, but it's quite accurate. It yeah. was London. The London that used to be the name of an email group. I used to. Email circular used to get. <laughs> what in the um, the Londonistan events that are happening in London? Okay, so that must have been in the early notice, but yeah, it, that's yeah. how it came out. So um, yeah. you had basically, you know, I the war had it. finished in in Afghanistan. So you had many mm. people from other Muslim countries, mainly in the like North African and and uh, Levant countries, who um, they weren't able to go back um, to their countries after the mm. war ended in Afghanistan. So they. It was like a fashion to to. Well, I mean, some of I wouldn't say fashion. They were doing it. Some of them, it was a fashion. Some of them, they did it out of need. They had nowhere else to go. They went to countries, European countries, to seek asylum. And London, you had everything and anyone that was there. So that period, which ended with the September 11 attacks, um, what happened during those? I think they defined, and anyone today who wants mm. to understand why the Muslim in this country why the community is the way they are or why hundreds of uh, British Muslims they went to join ISIS for example the the roots you need to know you need to sort of understand what happened mm. during that period mm. and we need to talk about it so what did happen in terms of okay there's there's wars happening Muslims are ostensibly being victimized uh, abroad 
what impact did that have on you growing up here? So you saw that on the news and what you were, you grew kind of angry at whom? Where did you direct your anger? So I think, um, I mean, I remember... All your colleagues the, and friends. So I remember when the, the... I mean, it's important to remember. So in those days, just to paint the picture, mm. there's no phones. Like, there really are no phones. Not like your parents yeah. don't let you have it, but there's no mm. phone. So if yeah. I want to hang out with Umar, I'm going to ring his house landline yeah. house number. Yeah speak to his mom or dad or, or whatever and say is Umar there and she'll mom will say that no he's not there and okay when he comes back and you ask him to call me blah 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 and he'll call me then we'll arrange to meet up or whatever there's no phones arrange no to meet emails. up at Woolworths or yeah <laughs> Blockbuster video no, even, even Woolworths yeah. set up. No, <laughs> Woolworths not Blockbuster yeah. I think Blockbuster came, uh, came, came yeah. later yeah. on we went, we went into the Blockbuster yeah. crowd okay. bro yeah. <laughs> you'll learn as the story That's unravels when you, had your, uh, <laughs> when you used to go on holiday via Thomas Cook yeah. Thomas Cook. Yeah. No, you never saw that. Thomas Cook uh, yeah. and Pontins and all Rest that. Yeah, that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't quite our, our crowd. Yeah. So in that time was, um, so there's no social media, there's no YouTube, mm. there's no internet. <coughs> and uh, you're just hearing about things through, sometimes people might be giving out newsletters uh, outside the mosque. Uh, and mm. I remembered, uh, um, you know, Hezbollah Tahir in particular, they were known for, like you'd, get, you'd come out of Juma. And you've yeah. got this like, uh, it's like wall to wall, A4 sheet yeah. of all of these things. So, you know, and apologies if I'm going to be struck down, but anyone saying this, all I would read is just the title. And then uh, it would like be put back on the mosque or something like that. Then you had, so the, but you would find out sort of what was going on, you know, through yeah. these things. You had newsletters that, you know, people would come and, and talk and mm. all that. Um, there were relatively few... Um, there were a few sort of, I can call them, you know, influential people. Yeah. It was also the time that I guess the, the second generation were kind of reaching maturity. Uh, any earlier than that, they, they probably weren't old enough. So you now had people who were speaking uh, in the English language being able to, you know, articulate what was going on as well. I don't remember that many English speakers and only people from the Indian subcontinent coming talking about Islam, but around that time now we had an emergence of people speaking in the English language about as Islam. a medium. About Islam and also a lot of these other topics. Yeah. So I think in, so around that turn of the decade, so towards the late 80s, so some yeah. of the key personalities that were in, uh, um, that were active in, um, uh, in the scene, let's say London, for example. Yeah. Um, so you had um, um, Abu Muntasir, who, uh, mm. um, who uh, well, he later went on to establish Jimas, uh, and he used to run this group called Hisam uh, Harakatul Islah Shabab Al Muslim, and he was a very charismatic, very captivating uh, uh, speaker, articulate. Yeah. So the movement for the rectification of young Muslims. Yes. Yeah. So uh, um, and um, his like um, thought was more like a, um, like. A, you know, how can I say? I mean, they used to identify, they used to call themselves uh, Salafi. So mm. at that time, there was only one type of Salafi, if that, uh, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, then you had um, other groups that were, you might call them like the Muslim Brotherhood type groups. Yeah. So you had like uh, young Muslims or you had like, a, I mean, Jamaat Islami, they were more like the Pakistani and the Bangladeshi. Um, Versions, but yeah. but they, they had sort of like uh, youth wings. Mm. 
Um, then you had, of course, you had uh, Hezbollah Tahrir. So this is amongst, not amongst the foreigners, but amongst yeah. like yeah. The, the Muslims, uh-huh. the uh, domestic uh, groups of this country. Then you, obviously you had you, you had Sufis, you had Barelwis, you had uh, um, Dilbandis, you had like uh, um, various groups like that. But you still have that, don't you? Um, the same kinds of groups. I think there's there's many more, but in some ways there is much more unity now than uh, mm. than there was there. So mm. the defining like. The, the biggest event of that um, of that period was the war in Bosnia. Mm. So, so you know, everyone. And I remember when the war began in '92. So I was coming on TV. But can you can you describe it for some of our younger viewers? What how it what so it meant? What does the war? What uh, a summary of the war in Bosnia? I mean, yeah. So, so people sometimes when when you talk to people today, they said, mm. "Oh, you mean like Syria?" Yeah. and um, I say no, it's worse than Syria. But no, it's the same thing. It's the same. Yeah. And before I say this, I want to say that it's for the one who's killed. It makes no difference whether you're killed by yeah. a missile from the air or whether you're killed mm. by someone sits your throat. So mm. this is not without ris- you know, with, with any respect. But things happened in Bosnia, which have not happened since in and that I'm aware of, and mm. I'm, I stand to be corrected. And I went to a number of war zones during the 90s, not just Bosnia. I actually went there. Mm. Um, that things like that have not happened since. So you had um, uh, mosques, for example, mosques were targeted. And I recently mm. went back to Bosnia after like 20 years or so. Yeah. So you had something like 600 mosques in Bosnia were destroyed. Uh, pages of the Quran were used as toilet paper, as excrement. Mm. Religious graffiti was put on the walls. Uh, genitals of imams were cut off. Pregnant women, their fe- their uh, fetuses, their they were bodies were cut open, and the fetuses were taken out and replaced with pig fetuses by Serb doctors. Yes. Um, in some cases, uh, um, they would just pull out the the fetus. Um, rape as a as a policy. It's not like a, you're not talking about a group of rogue soldiers. Like it's actually part of the policy mm-hmm. because they wanted to change the bloodline. Um, so. You had and massacres of 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 young children, of babies, of of women, actually targeting them. Not like they happen to be collateral damage, but they're actively uh, targeted. Mm. So the word in London, in Britain, amongst the Muslims of Britain at that time, was, "Is Britain going to be the next Bosnia?" Mm. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people they weren't they didn't weren't just shocked by the extent of what was happening in in Bosnia, but there was that sense of if it's happening there on our doorstep then it might happen here so would you say you would think it would it was be less surprising for you if it happened something that happened here because it bosnia was seen as yeah. like the the bosn the the bosnians yeah. and the serbs were very when for centuries they lived side by side and they say that there was a lot of there were a lot more integration, integration this is amongst the thing them and about so the bosnians forth. But so there was something, but when Muslims here, they're ostensibly or clearly and obviously from a different part of the world, different ethnicities, there's racist element as well. I think there's a number of factors that led to what happened in Bosnia. I couldn't, so at that time we actually believed it. Now looking back with all the challenges that we have and, you know, the problems, uh, you know, the difficulties that we have, mm. you know, I think that's pretty like far-fetched. So you see, it's it's difficult to look at the look at history from the lens of today. Mm. 
Yeah. And that is difficult. And a lot of people, they'll try to do that. So you have people doing it all the time. We have this with the with the notion of uh, of uh, of jihad, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, they call this like 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 this, you know, a group of jihadists. They went and like uh, blew up a, a nightclub, for example. And I spoke to some journalists, uh, actually one from the BBC. I said, "Why do you call them jihadists?" Mm. Oh, it's just a term. I said, "I take offence that you call them jihadists, because this is not jihad." I had friends who were killed in Bosnia. A um, lot of them, no one even knows their name. They went. They fought on a battlefield with an army. They um, went to protect innocent people. Mm. And you're, you know, I find offense that you use that term. You use any relation of that term to link it to people that are going and doing the thing that jihad is supposed to protect mm. you against. And so it's difficult. You know, you, you can look at, okay, Nelson Mandela, you know, he's like the greatest man that's like ever lived, you know, in like for a thousand years and whatever. He was a terrorist. Mm. Was like, 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 yeah. So, but but you can't you can't look at you know you you can't look at history through the lens of today. You have to somehow try to put yourself, and so that's what I'm trying to do, to say is that mm. we actually believed it. So when we were helping, so there was people that that went to Bosnia. I went to Bosnia as well. A lot of people from my area and, and Omar must uh, mm. must remember that. Yeah, a lot of people went, and um, you know. As the caveat, in those days, it was completely legal, completely legal for you to <laughs> yeah, go yeah. there. You could just get on the. And I remember one particular time we got um, we got stuck coming out, and uh, we needed help to from the uh, um, the. I think we contacted the British uh, UN forces. Then I spoke to the sergeant. I gave yeah. him my passport number, and then he said, "Okay, we've got clearance to bring you back." And then mm. he phoned me back, and at that time we found another. So in those days, it wasn't. You know, it's a completely different uh, time frame. And there was no issues with anyone who went and when they came back. This no, is no, the thing. No. Exactly. And this is the thing people seem to... A lot to of people went. I mean, uh, Abdurrahim Green, he wrote an article, um, ret- uh, Returning Jihadis Aren't a Problem, I Used to Be One. <laughs> yeah, this one's saying I had the difference yeah, between ISIS versus the people who went there. I mean, we'll cover it later, but yeah. in terms of even the type of person, in terms of being educated, etc., their background... The, the way the government's done the narrative now is anyone who's gone there, they're a threat when they come back. But it was never the case because people were going for jihad, alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. They were going for different forms of uh, humanitarian uh, support as well. But and the argument physical. is, though, that they went there, they got kind of indoctrinated with, I don't want to say radicalized, but that's what they use, indoctrinated with some kind of uh, ideology that <coughs> paints certain um, kind of cataclysmic or apocalyptic pictures about Muslims vis a vis non Muslims and. You know, is how much truth is there to that, or do you completely reject that? No, I think there is some truth in that. Mm-hmm. But again, you're talking about different areas. Mm-hmm. So, so in Bosnia, for example, and it's also interesting. Something else that happened at the start of that decade mm-hmm. is is this concept of jihad. The first that was the first time around that time around the early nineties. This concept of jihad is not just a war that you're fighting to protect uh, uh, innocent people on the battlefield or whatever, but you are um, like like you're able to kill women and kids, mm. and that is also jihad. So that was actually so. If you look in the 80s, mm. and if you look in the 70s, if you look at like the problem that happened like the Israeli Palestinians, you had incidents. You had that that Muslims they went and they you know that that they were uh, they killed uh, women and kids or, or through explosions or shootings or whatever. But 
it was rogue groups who did it. It wasn't mm. done as like um, mm. as like a policy yeah. of this particular group of people. Yeah. So this began in early 90s. It started in Egypt with yeah. the the Jamaat Islamiya, the Jamaat al Jihad groups. Where they started, they came up with certain, some justification. They started to do the it. The tourists first time the tourists were attacked. Is tourists it? came a little bit later. I think Jamaat Islamiya. Yeah. They, they, I think they attacked them in in So attacking civilians became, uh, but from in the in the kind of justification of some groups in the modus operandi of some groups, attacking civilians became like a stratagem of of the war. Yes, but that was the what I'm the, the point I'm yeah. saying is that that was the first time it happened and. I was talking to, um, it's not important who it was, but I was talking to one of the like, proponents of this thought. I was having mm-hmm. a discussion with him and, um, you know, an amicable discussion. I wanted to understand and I said, okay, you, you, promoted, you, know, you promoted this thing. Um, help me. So what is your understanding of this thing about targeting women and kids uh, in mm-hmm. war? And he said that this is the, like, asal, this is the basis mm-hmm. that in jihad you're allowed to do these things. But so I said to him, I said, okay, I have a question then. If it is, if this is the norm, then why is it that we don't see this happening in Islamic history from the time of the Prophet through 14 centuries? Mm. We don't see it sanctioned from the leader or the commander of a group or army, and we only see it in the modern period. We only see it in in like the late uh, 90, 91, 92, 93. That's when it begins. So all of those scholars, so none of them like clicked on to, hey man, this is like the main <laughs> ruling. You know, it's like, you, it's like you're not allowed to join Asr with Maghrib, for example. So if someone today starts doing that, you'll be like, bro, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. no, but this is the Asr. So what are you talking about? You know, so, so no one di- knew, discovered this except 1990. Like, like what happened? And, um, you know, it wasn't really, you know, you can't give an answer to that yeah. because it didn't happen. So Usually the clearly. groups that now justify targeting women and children and so forth, they don't. Argue, I don't see them arguing from the point of view that it's asal is normal anyway. But they they kind of argue that well they do it, so we're just re- responding from in kind. Yeah, from uh, when the fog of war, then you're allowed to fight them. No, you you'll be you'll yeah. find that this it's more than that. Mm. So yeah. so so some of them and some of them don't actually know. Some of them subscribe to a particular ideology, mm. and they think. That oh it's just tit for tat and they're doing it for us. I mean the Serbs they 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 cut open the fetuses of Muslim women, pregnant mm. Muslim women in Bosnia. Mm. So if we believe in tat tit for tat, are we going to start doing that as Muslims? Yeah. We stand for something which is superior, yeah. superior morals, superior ethics. We stand for something that is greater than all of these yeah. things. So I'm saying from their perspective, from their arguments. No, 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 no. Some of them, yeah. yes, and some of them is. I mean, that's, is that kind of we why you have ISIS and that kind of stuff reach the kind of depravity they have in that, you know, setting fire to the, that those Jordanian pilots alive, for example. Mm-hmm. The way they justified that was, look, you know, they threw a bomb or whatever, so we're going to do the same to them. Yeah, Obviously, so it's, it's completely haram, but that so was in their things, justification. Justification, so. it always comes yeah. afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's a... An emotional reason for this. Mm. So one thing I actually wanted to, to touch upon is about you're talking about how, you know, the government saying that these people, they go there and they radicalize to like, like an ideology. It's not quite, it doesn't quite. So there is some truth in that. That mm. has happened now. Well, you know, mm. wasn't happening in, the, in, in like the 90s, but, but in the early part of the 90s. Yeah. There is some, some truth in that. But more often what happens 
is the psychological effect that war has on a person. Mm. So you go to war. So I went to like a, you know a number of I went to Bosnia. I went to a number of these places, and you see things that most people will not see. So you see death, you see destruction, you see dead bodies, you hear accounts of of mm. atrocities. You, you have a gun in your hand. You have that power. You have all of you know. You see your friends killed. You see you see that your friends injured. You mm. see people with one arm and one leg, and and sometimes you got to help them, like you know, attending to their yeah. toilet needs or whatever. Mm. So one of the biggest things, and soldiers who I remember when I was in the. Um, in the the supermax prison in um, in America, I used to talk to. There was a lot of the officers there were um, former Marines who fought in Iraq and and uh, mm-hmm. Afghanistan, and I used to. Some of them were like decent. They used, you could have a decent like conversation with them. Mm. And one of the things, the biggest thing, is you have this thing called survivor's guilt. Mm. And so there, there's one particular um, uh, an expert called a uh, Dr. Mark Sageman. He yeah. was actually a, a defense uh, expert in my case uh, in America. Oh, He's an American really? uh, um, American psychologist, and he used to work for the CIA. Mm. He was this. He was in 1986. He was like the CIA um, head of station in uh, for the CIA in the Soviet Afghan uh, mm. uh, jihad. So he's written a few books, but one thing he says: he said people don't fight for a cause; they fight for each other. Mm. So here's one person: you've gone through all of these experiences yeah war death destruction killing your side killing other people people being killed innocent people have been killed all of these things have happened you build relationships with people one of them is killed now now for some reason you need to come back so now you come back mm. and you have this you have this guilt that here i am you know enjoying uh, Assam milk tea with tapioca <laughs> and uh, from Quaker um, Street from, from Quaker Street coffee What's and bubble tea coffee and bubble tea yeah <laughs> gave, gave the shout out there yeah. I didn't get paid for that I just got one Assam milk tea with tapioca for that um, you're enjoying your nice comfortable life but your friend was killed there mm. yeah so part of you wants to does not want his death to be in vain so you want to continue that legacy Mm. Now, in our case, we came back, and I came back, and we came back, and okay, for us, I came back from Bosnia, and the next thing was okay. There's a war in Chechnya. Let's yeah. go there. So that's where I was able to 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 put my, you know, like emotions and whatever. Other people who don't have that, or who have been exposed to different things, they might think, okay, my friend was killed there. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to hire a van, and I'm going to fill it up with knives, and I'm going to drive over London Bridge and then I'm just going to get out and just start stabbing people. I don't know who they are, what religion they are, what they think. I'm just going to get up and do that. He's not doing it for a, a, an ideology or a cause because yeah. there is no cause or ideology, not in Islam anyway, yeah. that sanctions that. He's doing it for emotional reasons. Yeah. He's doing it due to a lack of guidance. He's doing it because no one is allowed to talk to him about jihad because of, because of this prevent thing, which which has completely shut mm. down debate. Yep. Where no one is allowed to to talk about. I'm probably the only person who's allowed to you know talk about jihad in in public. Yeah. Uh, um, you know because my case has been resolved in in a court of law. Yeah. But um, so 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 people, there's a lot of emotions that people they go through. And if there was a means of, of people helping them to process these emotions when mm. they came back, um, some of those people, you know, they can be quite dangerous. 
Yeah. You know, they, they can be quite dangerous and it's not an ideology. It's like emotional reason and that you Generally combat. speaking, when when it comes to looking at the stats, you know, we often forget I mean, as a Muslim, we all have that um um uh, we, we hold our own to a superior moral standard, like as you mentioned, right? That even if one Muslim does some kind of crime, we think that's one Muslim too many. But that sentiment often gets hijacked by people with a malicious intent who try and overblow the, the kind of... Um, Effect the, of the, it. The, yeah, the, the, the scale of Muslim um, terrorism or crime, political mm-hmm. violence, that kind of stuff. So if you just look at in the UK, for example, there's about 3 million Muslims, yeah. not including the illegal immigrants. <laughs> but 3 million, according to the 2011 census. They say just 1% of, of all human beings generally are psychopaths, right? Uh, three to four percent are sociopaths, so kind of pathologically unable to s- empathize with someone else, inclined <coughs> towards, yeah. you know, um, so, uh, 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 antisocial behavior and so forth. So you're looking at, and just the Muslims in the UK, you, to have our fair share of... Nutters. Nutters, you'd, you'd have 30,000 psychopaths, psychopathic Muslims, and like up to 100, 120,000... Muslim sociopaths. So when they do react in a, a very a highly antisocial way, um, they're obviously going to use the language that they know. They're, they're Muslim. They're going to justify it with their with their ethics, use their language, and and, and so forth. So that's where it, the problem comes when you know so, someone uh, with with a particular agenda they force a mic into an imam's mouth and says, "Do you condemn these Muslims doing X, Y, Z?" Of course, he's going to condemn that because he holds people to a higher Muslims saw a higher kind of uh, moral scrutiny, but his statement, condemnation, the statement against these kind of um, uh, actions, they're going to be taken to spin a, 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 yeah. a, a narrative that demonizes his own, his, his own uh, children. I think, I think the best way to, to tackle this is just stop apologizing, man, because yeah. the people who hate you, they're going to carry yeah. on hating you, no matter what you say. Even if you get down and you kiss their feet, they're going to keep mm. on... Attacking you. So, oh, you people are terrorists. You know what? You believe that, bro? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, then we're terrorists. Yeah. Oh, you people just want to go and like... I remember there was an officer. Um, he had the decency to actually come and ask me. So I was in um, a prison in the UK and it was a senior officer. And, mm-hmm. and um, so I sort of, you know, would talk to him. He, he was a decent guy. Like you, you yeah. have even amongst them. I think in, amongst prison officers, the percentage of psychopaths and sociopaths is probably <laughs> much more than... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Either they're attracted to that job or because of the job they... <laughs> yeah, no, no I, th- I think yeah. most of them are, are yeah. you know, most of them are so, uh, psychopaths. Yeah. A few of them are not just good people, but very, very good people, very mm-hmm. decent human beings. And, you know, I met all sorts, you know, I met the psychopaths and I met the, the decent ones. So this guy was one of the decent ones. And he said, he said, Baba, he said, can I, he said, Baba, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He goes... I've been seeing you now, like you've been living here on this uh, particular wing that I'm, uh, I'm the, the officer for. And um, I've, been, I've known you for like two years now, mm. especially when you're like in a, in a small environment, then you, 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 know, you know the officers because you're spending more time with them than they're spending with their own families mm. and such. He said, I just, you know, I see you, you're a nice guy. I just can't imagine why for the like of, you know, why would you, you would want to kill me or my family? <laughs> I said, okay, okay, let's sit down, sit down. So he sat down. Because you're infidels. (laughs) And and I said to him that, um, I said, who said I want to kill you? So I I tried to sort of get it out. Where is this coming from? What do you got? 
I said, could you see, I said, you haven't done anything to me. Could you see me harming you in any way? He said, no, I couldn't. I said, then that for you, the person that you know, is what should be more powerful than anything that you've heard anywhere mm. else. And he wasn't saying it because someone in the media said, oh, Barbara, won't. I mean, that wasn't even the allegations against yeah. me, that he was involved in some plot to kill people, whatever. But he was just talking from this general thing that, oh, if you're in prison for terrorism, then you must be... Um, you know, you must be out to get people, whatever. Yeah. So I sat with them and I, I, I engaged with them. But really, I think a lot of Muslims here, they spend a lot of time trying to apologize, trying to defend mm. uh, who they are. And I remember Salman al-Farsi is that mm. once uh, some of the, the polytheists, they came to him and they mocked him. They said, look at your prophet. What an, what, look how stupid your yeah. prophet is. He even taught you how That's to go to the toilet. Point. Yeah. So instead of bringing out statistics from the American Journal of like uh, you know of, of like science and all, but in 2002 there was like this and that, he said, you know what, you're right. Andy told us to sit down, not face the qibla, and use three use, a, use yeah. an odd number of stones. Yeah. Mm. So, so there has to be this thing of, so mm. what? You know, stop apologizing for your religion. Someone comes to me that oh you believe in this, you believe in that. I say listen, it's my religion. I believe in mm. it. I didn't make those laws. Okay, if I was to make them, yeah, maybe I'd make them a bit differently. I didn't make those. Mm. So once you sort of get that thing, you know, you want to believe that, okay, no, no worries, go ahead, believe that. Yeah. There's still people becoming Muslim. There's still people exactly. who interact with Muslims, real Muslims in their workplaces, in, uh, in their universities, you know, in, in their businesses. They know what real Muslims mm. uh, uh, are like. Just be a real Muslim. Stop yeah. apologizing. Someone wants to believe that. Let him believe it. You know, one of the biggest tragedies, Barbara, from everything that's happened post that, and I feel this for the younger generation, it's those, we've got people now who were born after 9-11, who've grown up after 9-11, and then grown up after 7-7. For us, I think we were still a little bit protected <coughs> after 9-11. When 7-7 happened, it was, it's on our doorstep. And I, 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 you can, it was a palpable difference in the way people responded. But the fact that no one's talking about the need for jihad, anymore in that sense we could, you said we could speak about it then that those people who in, in such a dire circumstances that a group of brothers felt the need to go and help them and that's been lost now we want to like you're saying make statistics about everything we want to talk about okay media we're going to have you know this march or something but going out and helping on the ground in that way it's kind of been lost from this generation and in some ways they've won and I I don't know, maybe we might cut this out later, but <laughs> if we get a few nutters, it's, I think it's worthwhile because think of the lives at the other end that have been helped, you know? It's, but, uh, it's do you get that, that anymore, though, those lives at the end? Because if you look at Syria, for example, the foreign kind of uh, fighters were kind of just used um, to, to start killing each other and, and all the infighting. The whole discourse really is, it's, I don't know what's happened, as in it's been... Vaid, of it's, course. It's, so I don't entirely agree with the. So what, has what, jihad what, changed? Well, jihad hasn't changed. It or the need never for had. You know, the, the, yeah. the 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 kind of um, the 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 way has to it been infiltrated? As the, it's way known. the way to help people so, who are suffering so, has that changed? So, so I think so. I don't entirely agree with what what what, um, well, what Omar you said there respectfully. I think um, so. We are in a different era. Yeah, we're in a different era now. And let's say you want to go and you feel somewhere in, in some country, something is happening. You want to go. Mm. Yeah. Fine. No one can stop you, but know the consequences. So yeah. it's know the consequences to yourself in terms of 
uh, going to prison in terms of the legal legislation, whatever like that. In our time, we sort of found out afterwards, but we were lucky because the law, whatever, was okay. So you can't like, you can't say, okay, look at this guy, you know, Barbara, he went to Bosnia, he went to Chechnya, he went to all of these yeah. places, right? And yeah, we should do that, so we should revive that. And looking back, so I don't have any regrets for going to Bosnia or any of the things that I yeah. did at that time. I don't have any regrets for it, looking back at it. Would I tell encourage someone to do that now? Of course not. No, no. Why so, not? So because, <coughs> so for me, it was a very a simplistic worldview at that time. Mm-hmm. So I went to help Muslims uh, in Bosnia who were being, you know, uh, um, persecuted by another group of uh, uh, people, and um, I fought as part of an army, uh, as part of an established army on a battlefield. What um, about the Rohingya, for example? Or if people so so want to go into Kashmir. So now, the mm. geopolitics are different. Mm. So the way I saw it, Serb, Serb Orthodox, Serb Christians are doing this to Muslims. That's what I saw. There's mm-hmm. also bigger factors as well. So you had, like what happened in the 80s, the Afghanistan war, where you had the, mm-hmm. you had the uh, um, USSR, you had the, the Warsaw Pact, you, you had the, the communist <coughs> bloc. Mm-hmm. You had this proxy war where the Soviets wanted to give the Americans wanted to give the Soviets a bloody nose because mm-hmm. of what happened in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. That same thing was happening here. So you had Russia is um, you have these proxy wars they end up being pawns for someone else's. So you're game. doing like that. So that doesn't mean that anyone who went there or who was fought or was killed was you know that intention. They are judged mm. by that. But these things. So if you look at you look at the war in Syria, for example, on the face of it, yes. You know, Muslims are being killed by this regime. And then you look behind it, you think, okay, well, what's Iran doing there? Mm. Why are you there? Why is Russia there? Okay, why is Russia there? Why is, you know, you got all of these different, and the people on the ground are being killed. So, you know, it's like sometimes I'll see on the, um, I'll see on, 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 on the internet where um, this guy, he went and he like, um, he, he, he like, he blew himself up in some uh, little hospital waiting room or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what are you mm-hmm. going to say to Allah on the Day of Judgment? So Allah is saying, okay, let's put aside your ideology, why you did it, the cause, this, that, whatever. You, you, that person, providing he's not saying, you, you make that conscious decision that I am going to end my life in this way. And what, what are you going to say to Allah? That, okay, the life you gave me, I ended it. Um, to kill like a couple of uh, housewives and two old people yes. in a hospital waiting room. I mean, life has become so, like, like does it not have any value anymore? Does it not have any, any value any, anymore? That, that the thing is, I think it's, it's, it's partly because of the trend in some societies away from sacredness and towards the materialism of just, you know, not having, because the, the, the belief that life is sacred is a deeply spiritual and religious thing. Right and and some, uh, according to some people, society is moving away from that kind of. Um, there's a lack of empathy. Yeah. yeah, there is, and there's a lack of empathy because real people don't exist. Empathy mm. is about being able to put yourself into into the other shoes. I'm able to put myself in Salman Bhatt's shoes, and then to see, try to feel what he's going through, but mm. I can't because I'm only going to see you on a YouTube channel, mm. and that's one thing that that going back again to the '90s, that. You didn't have like like nowadays. You can get any clown, and if you know, you can you can buy followers. And yeah, you want to yeah. know? Do you want to know how how you know if uh, someone's bought followers? It's very easy. You go on a Facebook page, 
someone has like, um, you know, 750,000 followers. So according to the Facebook algorithm, you know more about this uh, mm -hmm. than me. Yeah. When you put a post up, Facebook it only reaches like 2% of those yeah. people. So if you've got 750,000 people, 2% of that is like, what, 15,000 yeah. people or something. So you will get about a few thousand likes or, or comments or, or, or whatever. Yeah. You got a man with 750,000 followers. He posts <laughs> something. Hey, this is me, you know, like with my Juma beard or whatever like that. He posts it and you get like 32 likes. So he's bought those. Yeah. You understand? <laughs> I mean, it's quite sad, but you can buy that. It's easy. Yeah. You just go online, yeah. you pay a few hundred pounds, you can buy that. And someone said, you got a complete nobodies. It, in, the, in the 90s, mm. you had that as well, where you had nobodies. Yeah. You had a few people that of, of influence. Now they've got their own podcast. But now, so, <laughs> so, so there is some... <laughs> so there is, there is some hope in that those psychopaths that you said yeah. or in the Muslim community, Alhamdulillah, most of, of them are on YouTube. Most of them yeah. are online. So we know <laughs> we where know they, they are. are. That's a good thing. <laughs> you, know, you know where they are. So, so that, that's where they are. But Barbara, yeah. The thing is, look, just like to just remind everyone to subscribe to Islam Twenty on C forward slash YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Islam Twenty on Facebook C. These guys, they don't buy, they don't buy their followers, so <laughs> no. they're pretty desperate. So hence the appeal. We're broke, so if you <laughs> exactly. want to donate, so we can Money buy as well. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to do is because the conversation has moved from the public sphere and moved from the circles and, and being done in a public way about jihad and the cause. It's now being done by people who aren't. Uh, who don't have the license, don't have the education, don't have the background, don't have the scholarship to do it. And, and this is my problem, that it's kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater um, that I see in the younger generation. I say it like I'm an old person, but there's no desire in any way to, to even think about jihad and, and, the, and its noble endeavour. It seems to be something, a relic of the past, dare I use those words, that's something very romantic, but there's no connection with it today. And all of the justice and all and in, its, in its most beautiful form, taking aside all the craziness, because that's what, how it's manifested today. And then people are like, well, you know, I, if you're you, going to do it, you're a nutter. Wouldn't jihad mean something else in today in a, a different context? So, so I, the jihad of um, public relations or, uh, you know, media or propaganda. And so so I, I, think, I think one of the ways to... to um, yeah, that is a good point you see but the reason people don't want to talk about it it is understandable because this is the you know the debate in in, in the public sphere and and the label what people yeah. have attached uh, to this <coughs> this is what people want to um this is what people want to uh, um this is what they associate jihad with and yeah. people for people with a vested interest in keeping unjust or injustice kind of uh, prolonged and, and and alive and thriving they have a vested interest in trying to portray jihad as something bad. Yeah, of course. But but one of the I think one of the things that is important for us to do is go back to the early generations always. And there is mm -hmm. one thing that I did, which um, I sort of did it when I started to practice. When I, I think I first read this book when I was like twelve, and there was a series of stories of the companions of the Prophet by Abdul Wahid Hamid, yeah. and he wrote these two book volume Blue one, and volume red, two. Yeah, yeah. So I think I read. That book, since when I started to practice, mm. I read that book and I think I read them almost every year, even in prison when I could. I had those mm. books, I had them sent to me in prison. And almost every year of my life, I like read those books and I tried to align myself. I tried to check myself mm. where I am now compared to those people. 
you see one of the problems of following personalities and in the 90s we had this problem and i'm sorry to say if you look at all of these various groups of people who were active in the 90s so people had their noses broken over discussions yeah okay they had noses broken that window smashed they had tires slashed these as like people not talking to each other not saying salam to each other like mm. all of these it was like civil war is probably an understatement it was basically people from outside who have come into this country mm. who didn't grow up here who don't have an interest here who don't have a childhood here and say hey it's halal for you to you know you yeah. can go and steal from the kafar man you can go mm. and steal you know you can go and do credit card fraud he's going to do it but now you say hey brother because the regime mm. in algeria aren't like a, a proper islamic regime can i go there and like start robbing from the grocery stores then he doesn't like it because mm. that's his the grocery yeah. store owner is probably his uh, his, his uncle's cousin mm. but coming here and that concept so the people who didn't have anything so all of these fights and that comes to talking about what we are talking about the um people going in abroad in those countries yeah is they the influence of those people muslims here in the 90s were fighting each other physically mm. hating each other yeah. because some scholar or some person of knowledge from a foreign country has bought that politics mm. and has brought it into into london so me and salman we have a d- dispute and then we come we come to blows um because um salman says something about uh, mauritania and i didn't like it i probably yeah. don't even know where mauritania is on the map <laughs> but yet i'm yeah. hating him this brother who's like my neighbor i'm hating him because mm. of that we were pawns so importing kind of foreign sectarian or foreign problem political foreign problem, problem. Yeah. so that's why don't just yeah. see on the surface this is what's happening in syria this is what's happening in rohingya yes see it yeah. what is the bigger story what is the geopolitics of this situation yes help them in whatever way that you can you know make sure you know the understand the legal consequences of of you know whatever yeah. you're doing but um you know under, try to understand what you're getting what you're getting into mm. i was angry for a long time in that period if i look back at it there was um a lot of anger and you, if you don't know how to manifest it sometimes it's uh you know it's only with uh, i guess maturity and and sitting with other people subhanallah and then uh, understanding Islam a bit further and all the things like you used to teach us as we used in the circle going back to the sahaba and these types of things it helps you deal with it otherwise everything that was going on really in the 90s and you don't know this personalities you're quoting personalities you don't know anything about them and then You know people are quoting scholars from abroad uh, you know they and they don't know they they saying these guys are blind followers but they're blind followers you know I, mean, I, I give you I, i give you an example like um you know you have various websites that answer questions and all that so yeah. some I read one of these I read it myself where some guy asked a question that one guy goes to a barber's shop and um he told the barber to shave his beard and then at some point after the guy shaved his beard he has this realization that the shaving of the beard is haram so should he pay the barber So the response was um I don't know if that questions uh, or the answer still up there the response was you know the beard is so nine blah 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 and it's uh, it therefore because the barber he asked him to do something haram for him it's forbidden for him to to to, to pay this now if you're in certain countries or certain parts of the world where you can get of authorities to sort of back you up in your position well and good yeah. you know you try doing that here in the shortage and the guy's going to call the police at you 
Yeah. And especially in Shoreditch, because Shoreditch, the hipster beard is like yeah. quite yeah. Thin, isn't it? <laughs> so there's a bit more, it's a bit and more penny personal. Farthing. But the point I'm trying to say is that you're giving fatawa about a place you've never been to. Yeah. Well, you didn't grow up there. You cannot grow, you cannot understand the culture of a place if mm. you did not grow up there. If I go to, if I go to uh, uh, Malaysia, for example, yeah. I live in Malaysia for 15 years. Then after that, I start giving fatawa. You know, I think that the Malay women should do this and the Malay men, they should do this mm. and the youth should do this. Someone at some point is going to say to me, bro, who are you? You've just been here for like 15 mm. years and you're like coming and talking about, you know, fine, you've got a lot that you, we can benefit from and you can contribute. Come and work with us, but don't come and tell us like, like this. You don't even you don't understand the culture mm. of, uh, you know, you're still an outsider. You and and that is important for us to remember because to stop that happening to us again, realize that in the 90s, we were not we were taken for, we allowed ourselves mm. yeah. to be taken for fools by other people who had no interest in us. So you find a, a community in, 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 uh, in London, for example, and these were good people. A lot of them were reverts. They came from the streets. They came from very difficult backgrounds. They came from the streets, they came to Islam, and instead of teaching these people how a Muslim is, how to be, how to be with your wife, how to be with your kids, how to, they're teaching them that this scholar is a, on bidder and yeah. that scholar follows this, and this scholar says that. This guy's deviant. Some of those people, they, they, they left the deen. Yeah, and talking, yeah. and one of the, the challenges is if you look at some of those personalities, and that's why I always say that take your example from the dead, yeah. because you know what they died upon. Yeah. If you're following the, the, the living today, those who are alive today, if you're making this guy into your, into your God, what happens if he changes? And a lot of people, they change. A lot of yeah. people back in the 90s, and by change, I don't mean maturing. No. I don't mean, you know, you all sort of change it, it'll be mature. I'm meaning you're like, uh, you go from black to white, you like completely 180 degrees, mm. you like, like switch. Yeah. And you start saying, yeah, Bosnia was wrong, it was an unjust war, for example. And you start coming up with Madness. nonsense like that. Yeah. Then... Don't follow the living, you know, don't, don't be so infatuated with personalities, with scholars, mm. with, you know, learn from them, but don't be, don't be a blind follower into everything that this people or this person uh, uh, mm. says. Yeah. So to take it into another direction now, uh, is that um, one thing, alhamdulillah, kind of learned from the circles and growing up around that time was this concept of, uh, of being a man, like, you know, this is what men do. And Alhamdulillah, you use it in a positive way. To You don't fight Bef on the before streets. Before we go into that. Yeah. yeah. I heard you're a man who likes honeys. You only get honeys for now. We'll do honey after that. We need honeys. It's, it's been looking, it's been staring at me now. You sure? Mahmoud keep, keeps giving me signals that. You're, the the key the word thing. is honey, not honeys. honeys. <laughs> you said something yeah. Yeah, exactly. that can be misinterpreted, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a man who likes honey, yes, not honeys. But you, you like different types of honeys. And then right? you've got four honeys. <laughs> okay, so what's the? So I mean, this you started a, you started a thing with you know you have you you have you sell different honeys. Yeah, anyone who knows me knows that I'm in yeah. the honey business. I like to sweet sweeten up people. Yeah. Mr. So B, I got I got what, this. What test kind here. of honeys do do you like? Um, what type of honeys? Well, obviously, different, I like my, have different. I obviously, like my own honeys, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to. We like different types of honeys. Um, different colors, honeys. I like the um, I like the thick ones. Honeys I, from, honey. I don't really like, like thick the, honeys. Yeah, the thick ones. The, honey's the psychopath honeys. Yeah. <laughs> there's Asian honeys, there's kind of South American honeys. Yeah, obviously, I like the South American ones. They're the okay. best in the world. So, you know, that's uh, pretty subjective. Okay. So, I've got here, they're going to put me to this test. It's like okay. the, the coke. Well, this the is a blind the, test for all of us. The Pepsi challenge. Yeah? Pepsi so, yeah. challenge. What, what are we supposed to do then? 
I think one of these is uh, poison. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So, just basically, so you just mentioned this box. So, okay, so I want you to taste each one. I want you to guess. This is classy, Mahmoud. So I identify in order which is the best one to the worst one. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and if you can, from which continent the okay. money comes from. Or which suburb of London? Yeah, <laughs> 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 Identified um, best to uh, worst. Yeah. Well, there's this. Okay, well, there's like there's like four of these. Okay, right. this is A. So we're gonna mark these best to worst and try and uh, identify right. their origin. So this one. There so are. one of the things, key things with honey is you smell it first before you taste it. So it should have a smell. Every real honey it has a smell, so this thing, it doesn't even have a, it doesn't even have a smell. So I'm not expecting much I'm when not I taste as, it. Um, as, as experienced with the honeys as you are. Yeah, it's got a very acidic, um, acidic taste. Yeah, I was not to, not to, not to. Uh, good. Okay, let's have a look at this. You also, like ta ta to, ta to, to neutralize the palate. Neutralize the palate. Yeah. This thing, honey, it's like. Um, it's a bit like tasting wine, you see, halal wine, <laughs> non-alcoholic. <laughs> Don't like before I get a fatwa Very to strike nice. me down. I'll have yeah. the bottle. <laughs> Why do we use wooden spoons? Maybe you can tell us that, Barbara. Old, or wooden old, spatulas, yeah. Old wives' tales. Ah. <laughs> These guys thought they were being world technical. Oh, yeah, we've got to get wood. This, so this, it looks this, authentic. This, now, this is the cheapest. These coffee stories <laughs> are the cheapest. You got them from that Quaker bubble shop there next door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so these are... Oh, this one has pieces in it. C. Number C has pieces. Mm. <laughs> I'm just munched as well. B is definitely better than A, man. I'm already on D, bruv. Slow, <laughs> guys. Oh, this does not look like honey. I think this looks like Barbara Ahmed's honey. It's quite runny. Uh D does not taste nice, so that means... Ah, you gave him the one that didn't have honey in it, isn't it? <laughs> that must mean it's really like posh honey that only uh, only those of them who honey, acquired the taste so can enjoy. Honey is the world's third most faked food. Really? 90% of honey that is in the supermarkets is fake. Most honey that is sold, it's uh, unfortunately, it's fake. How do you spot real I've honey? the taste now. Um, that people got all these like different tests, you know, you get it and you put the like lighter on it and then you like see some like, I mean, it's quite simple. A lot of it's to do with trust. It's a bit like halal. You know, you go to, a, you go to some shop and there's some guy there, right? Saying, brother, is it halal? Because kul halal, alhamdulillah, kul halal, everything halal. You just, you don't just get, the, you don't get those vibes. Yeah. And you go to another says, place. halam, halam, halam. <laughs> yeah. Or you go to another place where the, it's just, the vibes, it's like who you're getting it from and you see his certificate. Halal is quite easy, the, the, you know, to tell if something's halal, you then, you know, something you eat and you're not sinful. So, I think... All right, I think D is the the fanciest because I don't like it, and I'm a very uh, I'm a simple ten. I like my uh, Tesco's from? budget, uh, no frills, honey. Which country did you from? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be racist or anything. I say Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> I see uh, too, honey. C 
It's got bits in it, so that that seems fancy. Unless someone went, you know, out of their way to kind of what add bits of something. What? Your one's got bits in it. No one yeah, else's. Mine's got loads of bits. Look, let's go. No, Look at that. <laughs> well, I'm not the one who put it here, man. No, so unless somebody sneezed, I sneezed near it, and. Uh, all right, it's a it's proper beehive bee wax. Which, which, which one's your favorite, Barbara? Uh Definitely bee. So I think all of them they got high humidity because once you sort of, um, you can tell that they're they're just a bit. Um, yeah, this bit humid. A, a doesn't have a smell at all. Uh, D even looks like it's got very high humidity. Might have even fermented a bit. It's got that slight uh, oh, smell. Man. But uh, B, um, B it's in terms of taste, B definitely is the. Um, it's a very light taste. It's the tastiest uh, for me, B, and it also has the best uh, it's aroma. It's got a fruity taste. So I'll yeah. say B, then C, then then A, then D. But yeah, that's I always Where would you think they're from? Where they think they're from? I wouldn't have a clue, man. The I'm not like, uh, um, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. But B is the one that I like uh, most out of uh, these. I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, where they're from. I mean, okay, for me, C. I can't recognize. I think anything. C. I'll say C bad. Yeah. Oh, C B D A. So like me, but with B and C sort swapped over. C B D A. I think C is is from a a small mountain village in uh, southern Spain called Mijas. Uh, looks like I think. D D is definitely from uh, a small little uh, hamlet at the at the foot of the Himalayas, if I'm not mistaken. Wait, uh, and I'll tell you, you where humidity. A is from. See the humidity. A is from. A is from. <laughs> no, no, no. A is the most genuine Sikh kebab honey made from the dustbins behind the alley behind Dawat restaurant on Tooting High Street. It's got that that authentic local yeah. honey like like uh, flavor to it. The bees there, the, the bees there are. Yeah, have been, man, I've been eating. Uh, I was I, I was undecided between uh, B and C, and um, I liked uh, C because it was light, but B because it's slightly thicker. It just felt more like honey to me. So B tipped it for me over C, B C. Um, okay, put us out in the other misery. What you've got the answers there? All right, all right. Haven't you? Obviously, no one wants to know. All right, I'm gonna read them out. I'll start with uh, A. A is Tesco's best honey, i.e., cheap. Yes. What I think, yeah. I got that right. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, B well, well. <laughs> B is know. the rouse organic, not raw, unknown origin of honey. Okay. All right. C okay. was organic Mexican honey raw. Oh, is that what I said? Mexican, no, yeah. Okay. Mijas. And D was organic Ethiopian honey. Ethiopian. I didn't like that. <laughs> You're racist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Alhamdulillah. Uh, everyone's Alhamdulillah. a bit racist, but. All right. I can cut okay. that bit out. Fine. So we we solve that now. Yeah. Back to the more serious topic. Can I have some water, please? What? It taste so much. I'm not a honey fan. You obviously haven't had Barbara's honey. Oh yeah, uh, Alhamdulillah. I haven't. <laughs> haven't you really? No, I, my, I my wife bought a bunch of them. I love the packaging as well, mashallah. It's a lot of attention to detail. Good. Alhamdulillah. We're, we're trying to we're, we're trying to do it properly. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Trying it's good. To do it properly. Um, we, we're not doing it like the uh, read Surah Yasin and try to get it through the green channel. <laughs> You know, yeah. try to cash in on those uh, Haji Umrah duas where you get some like load of honey and bring it through and package P- it. Pooked on, pooked on by uh, the local. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's well. a load of hot air. Yeah. Exactly. 
Jello. So the point I was making before, Varvai, uh, was that. Um, Rujula. Yeah. Man, what is. Man, at that time, there was a definition, and I was saying that the time Alhamdulillah, the brothers who were going were always an example that they weren't going out of some street rep, but they were going to do something good. And this is the definition of a man, someone who took responsibility, someone who looked out for others. Okay, this is how we understood. Then there was a period, and I guess when you were actually in prison as well, by the way, that kind of message got lost, and there was a lot of this street element of what it meant to be a Muslim came in. Yeah. It, Culminated in two brothers getting killed in Tooting High Street. But there was this overt thing about being practicing, but being street as well. Fast forward a little bit now, and you know, you've got the rise of the metrosexual, you've got guys who don't know if they're girls and girls who don't know if they're guys. And this concept of being a man, I don't know, it just, just seems. Come on, man, just because I'm moisturized. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge question mark. So for someone like yourself, Barbara, who's gone through that, alhamdulillah, where you went out, saw these war zones, when that came back, and they went through prison and then subsequently how you dealt with the aftermath of it what's your take on this so first of all the most the, mm. the most perfect example of a man of a rajul is the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam so, 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 yeah. you know there's no question about that and we often we talk about the the brave or the robust side of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the fearless yeah. co- courageous side uh, of him but we don't see his soft side as well yeah and that mm. is so one of the difficulties we have uh, we have now is this concept of somehow you gotta and they have this uh, in, in the army as well that you gotta man it up yeah like just man up so man up has no basis in the in our in our deen aisha radiallahu anha she asked the prophet what was That's your most awesome. difficult day yeah what was your most your most difficult day and he didn't say, oh, you know, all of it is a test from Allah, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, and Allah gives and we accept. He didn't go into Just all of this nonsense. Yeah. He said, the day of Ta'if. And um, so he understood. He didn't tell her off for asking that. He knew what she's asking. What is the hardest day on you personally? Yeah. He didn't start going into a lecture and about Allah. You know, he, he said that was the most difficult day for me. And then he mentioned... Then he spoke about his du'a. And if you look at his du'a, yeah. he's complaining to Allah. This man, this rajul, is complaining to Allah about how he feels. He is mm. articulating his emotions. So this is something that we have, we, have, we have lost. And that's a reason why you have so many mental health problems, mm. so many instances of domestic violence among so-called practicing people is because... Men, it's it's a taboo to express your emotions. They've they've taken on maybe st- stereotypical notions about masculinity from other cultures yes. and stuff. Yes, it's to say that that oh you know anyone and I say this to you <coughs> and I put this challenge out there. I say this to you from someone who did eleven years in ten different prisons, in from in two countries. Anyone who comes says to you either time in prison or custody. And uh, yeah, alhamdulillah, you know, it's okay. And I wasn't affected, you know, on a hadith. And I'm like, all of this, right? That mm. person is not being honest. He is not being, he is not being honest. And these are things that we need to talk about these things. So mm. instead of giving a beautiful story, let me talk about myself. Yeah. You know, let me talk about myself. Mm. So manhood is to accept, yeah. is not to deny your vulnerabilities, yeah. Or your weaknesses or your challenges. 
is to accept them because then you can correct them. You can do something about them. Yeah. Mm. So through, so I was uh, subjected to an assault by the police, mm. uh, which lasted about. I mean, you can read the story; it's, it's, it's online. I won't bore you with the details. Forty minutes of uh, physical and um, physical, verbal, religious, and sexual uh, abuse, mm. which yeah. the Metropolitan Police Commissioner here uh, accepted, lasted about forty forty-five minutes or so, and. Uh, um, so as a result of that, I su- uh, sustained uh, PTSD, some post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. And then I went into prison for 11 years and being an, uh, I was isolated for five years, complete mm. isolation for two years. So that affects you. So me, before I came, you know, my final year, before I came back or in the few years, two, three years, before I came home from prison, um, I had um, planned that I'm going to, when I come out, I want to get therapy. Mm. Yep. And... While everyone was, no, I'm just going to read the Quran, I'm just going to have sabr. Yeah, I did all of that. Yeah. I'm going to get therapy because trauma is an injury. Mm. If you had a broken arm, no one would say, think twice for saying, go to the doctor or whatever. If you, if you break your arm, yeah. it's an injury. You go to the hospital, mm. you ask the doctor to fix it. Yep. Now, you can read Quran on it before, during and afterwards, but no one is going to say, just read Quran on it and mm. it's going to be okay. So trauma is an injury, it's a psychological injury. Yeah. Mm. So you've been affected. So for example, I came home from prison and like I've got a very, like uh, I had a very light sleep. Yeah. Mm. So I'm sleeping next to a, a window, there's a curtain. If I hear a noise like this, or I hear some people talking, or I hear like a car door, yeah. straight away I'm up, I open the, uh, the, the, the curtain, and then I look just to check that nothing uh, is there. And then I go back to sleep. And this is happening like 12 times uh, in the night. This is mm, happening. Yeah. And then I had this state of like what they call hypervigilance. Where I'm walking, like, uh, walking through the underground like I'm walking in a, in a US federal prison, for example. Which you have to yeah. be because you're in constant survival mode uh, in those things. So you're not num- sure physiologically, your, your hormone levels, your brain chemistry as well, everything, they, they actually change. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're, and, and you have to work to undo some of that damage. That's right. So, so when I came back, straight away I went to my doctor and I said, okay, I want some therapy. I'm not looking up for medication, mm. but I want some therapy that will help to address some of these, uh, some of mm. these issues that I'm, uh, that I'm having. Yeah. NHS, sorry to say, they didn't even didn't even send me an acknowledgement. But then Hugs Charity stopped. Uh, they they stepped in, and you know, Malla reward them. They said, "Look, mm-hmm. we've got a pot of money. We got a specific budget to help people with therapy when they come out of prison." But it's unused. No one wants to use mm-hmm. it because everyone's Alhamdulillah. You know, I had somebody. You know, I just read Quran and all of this stuff, right? So that's the outward. And then you ask their families. Yeah. And this guy's like smashing things, he's going crazy. He's like, so what's going on? But it's that front. Mm. I remember there was one brother that I, I spoke to and um you know he spent some time in custody and I and I was speaking to him about getting therapy and all that. He said, you know, I do have issues and I agree I should get this therapy, but one of the concerns for me is that us who came out of prison and who came out of custody, people see us as um they see us as like role models and heroes. Yeah. And I don't want to like break that image, even if it means personally that I need to have a, a price for it. So this goes on to that thing that you're, that, that you're talking about yeah. is it's not a weakness. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. So anyway, mm. so I went through, so Hugs put me in touch with the, you know, they arranged a therapy for me. And um, I went through about 15 to 20 sessions of therapy with a man by the name of Professor Ian Robbins, who was an expert in war, torture 
and uh, detention. Mm. And there's actually, he's died of cancer two years ago, but there's actually a uh, conversation between me and him on YouTube. You will find that. But I just want to give one example to illustrate what, uh, to illustrate this, uh, this point. So what happened is I'm going through this therapy and after about 15 sessions, he said, next week, bring something to record with. So I brought something to record with. He goes, now, close your eyes and talk me through this assault on you in real time, like it's happening now, and describe the temperature in the room, the texture on the carpet when your face is on the carpet, the accents of the officers, just talk it through. Mm. Close your eyes and just talk it through till you get to the end, no matter how long it takes. So bear in mind, before I did this, I testified about this assault in court for three days. I've spoken about it to lawyers many times. I've given statements. Mm. I've, I've told prisoners about it when I was living. You know, so yeah. I was comfortable with it. It's not like emotions are coming out that have never mm. come out again. Yeah. Okay, I've done all that. So I closed my eyes and I sat and I started talking about this happens. Yeah. It's uh, uh, five o'clock in the morning, the alarm goes off and I hear a bang. And so I'm like going through all of these details. And at some points I'm like, I started breathing a little bit deeply. I feel a bit uncomfortable, but I go through it and finish there. It took 22 minutes. When I opened my eyes from that point and for the next three days, my wrist began to hurt. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Because the brain unlocked Mm. that pain that was locked in there. And one thing Ian Robbins, he said to me, he said, emotions, they have to be released before they can be healed. Mm. So by me, it actually physically hurt. Okay, that's the link. People are saying, oh, it's all in the mind. No, it's not all in the mind. So one of the things I'd encourage that anyone amongst yourselves, trauma can be inherited. Mm. It can be inherited by behavior, not not genetically. It can be be, uh, inherited. So you may have like our parents maybe who like uh, made hijrah from uh, India to Pakistan, then they came from Pakistan to England, for example, and uh, they were like affected. They went through a number of traumas and that's been passed down through their behavior. So two, three generations on, people who never lived through war Mm -hmm. or any type of uh, migration are suffering these effects of it. So one of these, one of the difficulties, the challenges that we have is someone who has mental health problems or someone who has depression, oh, it's because your iman is low. Yeah. And come on, going back to the Asr and Maghrib, if I came and said, okay, I, Babur Ahmad, I gave this fatwa that you can join Asr with Maghrib. The first question people of knowledge are going to say to me, who the hell are you? Have you had any proper formal mm. Islamic instruction? Do you know everything? So likewise, with respect, if you are a person of knowledge, but you haven't studied psychology, you're not a trained yeah. or re- registered psychologist, someone who comes to you and he's depressed or he has anxiety, don't say to him that mm. your iman is low. Don't say to him that start reading Quran. Before you diagnose, you've given him a, yeah. a, a, an yeah. answer. Yeah. You know, yeah. get help. Therapy was the, the best thing. And I've seen other brothers who came out of prison. They are still suffering years on. Me, alhamdulillah, you know, I still have some issues. A, a lot of them have been resolved and I'm much better than I was. It's like a constant mm-hmm. like struggle and challenge. But mm-hmm. that therapy that hugs helped me to get. It really, really like uh, it helped me to like like get from like zero to like you know seventy five percent of like uh, functionality, wow. and um, it's something I feel strongly about. And for, for for women, they find it easy to talk about. Yeah. But guys, man up. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is mining up. up. That's the real mining up. Real your mining, yeah. challenges, your vulnerabilities. I get angry too much. You know, I can't sleep. Yeah. I'm anxious all the time, right? I don't know why I'm feeling like this. I'm a workaholic. Get, get, yeah. get, get, get help. Maybe you know, <laughs> know what that feels like <laughs> one day, someone. <laughs> no, really, Jazakumullah. I think, uh, yeah, 
can't say thank you enough for that mm. And speaking, you know, you're right This manly thing is that you don't speak to people I, I find it very difficult With husband and wife sometimes And really the Prophet always used to speak to his wife We forget that I mean, Things you know? like crying for the sake of Allah You know, hearing the Quran, crying Culture today it might People do like, that yeah. They do that yeah. But they don't do the other thing Because yeah. they think, okay, they am crying to Allah That's yeah. different but talking to someone else, I remember mm. when I was the years when I was in prison, is when something would bother me, I'll mm. just knock on a brother's door and say, "Brother, you know, I said I'm really down today, man. Come on, just tell me something to like cheer mm. me up." Mm. And he'd tell me something, I'll be okay. Yeah, mm. and I'd benefit instead of just trying to like hold it together, you mm. know. And like, you know, you got these brothers who are saying, "Yeah, man, I'm strong. I'm made out of iron, and like nothing affects mm. me." And then you see him like crying on the phone to his family, right? Or you see him like with bags under his eyes because he can't sleep. Who are you kidding? Yeah, man, we're right. all going through it. We're all human, man. Mm. If you're finding it difficult, say it. Yeah. Bro, I'm finding it difficult, man. I'm finding it difficult to, to cope. I don't know where my life is. What he- heading? You know, articulate it and get help. Mm. The relief um. you feel as soon as you've spoken. I don't know. Some, I mean, in the past, something happened with me and I went to speak to went to see a therapist as well. And it was just one conversation. But the moment I spoke, I just felt like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. He didn't say anything that was different or anything that I didn't know. In fact, he just kind of listened and nodded his head. But I just felt such a sense of relief at the end of it. SubhanAllah. Just being able to speak and articulate it. Um, well, there's so many lessons that, you know, you have to share from your experience. And um, I wish we could carry on, but we have to unfortunately wrap up. But Alhamdulillah. I uh, hope you'll join us again. Won't take you another few months to. We'll, we'll, we'll start getting Mahmoud <laughs> to uh, start bugging you a few months in advance. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think the, I think uh, the, tapio- I think the, the tapioca tea yeah. did it because well, I was trying not to come again. So, yeah. uh, are you going to write so a book about <laughs> about your experiences? Um, inshallah, I am. I have been writing, you know, Good. for a while. It's difficult with everything else yeah. I got going on. So I sort of, uh, I'm, I'm mm. yeah, at some point, inshallah. You inshallah. Know, we'll definitely, inshallah, inshallah, book. have you on uh, again. We'll keep bugging yeah. you again. But Zakmla Khairan for coming. Zakmla Khairan for tuning in. Um, if you like this podcast, give a like and a share. Um, get involved in the conversation with some comments and uh, let us know your thoughts. Um, again, a reminder we're on all the podcast platforms, anywhere you get your podcasts, inshallah. Uh, iTunes, iOS, uh, Google uh, Play Store, uh, Castbox, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, please do tune in for the next episode. And Zakmla Khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. If you're ever in East London around Brick Lane, make sure you drop by Quaker Street Coffee and Bubble Tea for some wonderful tea and coffee. Quote the Islam 21C Unscripted podcast and you'll get 10% off.